How many of you brought your Bible this morning? Will you hold up the Word of God all over the building? And I want to ask you, if you will, to join me in the Old Testament this morning, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 14, page number 406, if you have an old Schofield Bible. An old Schofield Bible, page 406, or the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 14. And when you find your place there, if you will, just hold on for just a minute. I want to read some verses here from this text and preach a little bit from this story this morning, 1 Kings chapter 14. While you're finding your place there, again, I remind you of our service this afternoon at 5.30. We have prayer room at 5.05, and prayer room is wherever you go to Sunday school at. So that's where you'll meet for prayer, and then we'll have our service starting at 5.30 this afternoon. Hope you'll be here and be praying for the service this afternoon. All right, 1 Kings chapter 14. If you're there, would you say amen? amen. All right. I had somebody say one time, man, I ain't going back to that church over there. And they said, why, why aren't you going back over there? I said, that preacher, he don't preach out of the King James. He said, he preaches out of the Schofield Bible. And uh, he just didn't know that the Schofield Bible is King James Bible. But uh, I assure you that when we preach, everything is directly from the King James. Praise the Lord. All right? 1 Kings chapter 14. I want to start this morning by just directing your attention to the screens for just a moment. And I want you to look up there and look at this fellow right here. Now, I know right now you're looking at this guy. You have no idea who he is. But his name is Ferdinand Damara. Ferdinand Damara. He was born December the 12th, 1921, and he died on June the 7th of 1982 at the age of 61 years old. Now, to us, it's just another face and it's just another name. But over the course of three decades, this man that you're looking at lived a very, very interesting life. Let me tell you about his life. First of all, he, was, uh, he taught classes in psychology. He worked as a zoologist. He served as the dean of the School of Philosophy at Pennsylvania's Gannon College. He taught science at a Catholic boys' school. He did research in Seattle. He worked as a civil engineer in the Yucatan. He directed a student counseling center. He taught Latin, English, and French at a high school in Maine. He served as a deputy, uh, deputy ser sheriff in, in Washington State. He was a law student. He served as an assistant warden of a Texas prison. He counseled terminally ill patients at the Good Samaritan Hospital in Anaheim, California. Now, having told you all about, about this guy, some, you know, you would get the idea that he was exceptionally brilliant, extremely educated, and highly driven. But you know something? The truth about that guy that you're looking at up on the screens this morning is this. He never even finished high school. He never went to high school. He only pretended to be all of those things. In fact, that man, Ferdinand de Mara, that you're looking at is considered by many to be history's most devious imposter. In fact, the movie was made out of his life. Back in the early 1960s, it starred an, an actor by the name of Tony Curtis, and the movie was called The Great imposter. Probably his boldest deception of all occurred during the Korean War. He opposed himself 
passed himself off as a lieutenant surgeon in the Royal Canadian uh, Navy and was si assigned to a naval ship just off the coast of Korea. The ship's name was the Cayuga. And while he was there, he, he, he operated successfully on several men that had been wounded in the Korean War. What he would do, so I'm told, is when he would face an operation, he would rush back to his quarters, get out a medical book, read as much as he could, rush back into the operating room, and perform surgery on a wounded soldier. On one occasion, that man that you're looking at removed a bullet lodged less than an inch from a man's heart. He received immediate fame. He was highly decorated for his actions. His name became synonymous with success. He became known all around the world as the miracle doctor, and yet he was a pretender. He never, ever had been to medical school. Well, this morning, I want you to look up on the screen. Using that, all that's said about that, I want to preach on this thought right here, the problem with pretending. The problem with pretending. You know, one of the burdens of my heart as a pastor is realizing that every Sunday crowds gather into our church here at Woodland Baptist Church, but there are those who are sitting among us that are just pretending, that are just pretending. You are a Ferdinand de Mera in your own right. You are an imposter. You are a pretender. Well, I had you to open your Bible this morning to 1 Kings chapter 14 because in this text, we have a classic illustration of someone who pretended to be something, or maybe I should say they pretended to be someone that they were in reality. They were not. I want to read you this story. Stay with me for just a minute, and then I want to go back and mention some things about the story. Look at verse 1. At, at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, fell sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise, I pray thee, and disguise thyself, that thou be not known to the wife, uh, be not known to be the wife of Jeroboam. And get thee to Shiloh. Behold, there is Ahijah, the prophet, which told me that I should be king over this people. And take with thee ten loaves and cracknels and a cruise of honey and go to him. <clears throat> and he shall tell thee what shall become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so and arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were set by reason of his age. And the Lord said unto Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her, for it shall be when she cometh in that she shall feign herself to be another woman. And it was so when Ahijah heard the sound of her feet as she came in at the door that he said, Come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? For I am sent to thee with heavy tidings. Now drop down to verse 12. Arise, Ahijah says to her, Arise thou therefore, Mrs. Jeroboam, go get thee to thine own house, and when thy feet enter into the city, the child shall die. Now, keep your Bibles open this morning. Let me give you a little background to this text. 
After the death of King Solomon, King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took over as the king of the nation of Israel. We know that under the reign of Rehoboam, the nation of Israel split. What was one nation actually became two nations. There was a northern kingdom of Israel, and there was a southern kingdom of Israel. Both of these kingdoms were their own country in their own right. They had their own government, they had their own capital city, and they had their own king. Well, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel was this man that we're reading about in our text, this man by the name of Jeroboam. And for me to say that Jeroboam got started off on the wrong foot would be an understatement because he majorly got started off on the wrong foot. You see, when Jeroboam became king over the northern kingdom, he got worried that one day there might be a reconciliation of the nation. He got to worrying about if the people up north on these special spiritual days like Passover and so forth, if they go back down to the south, you know something? There might be a reunification of the nation. The nation may come back together and form one nation, and if that happens, I'm going to be out of a job. More importantly, I'm going to lose my wife. So as a first official act as the king of the northern kingdom, he had to devise a way to keep the northern people from going down into the south to the city of Jerusalem where the temple was located. He had to keep them up north. So what did he do? He built his own temple. In the, in the city of Samaria. And he formed his own God in the form of a golden calf. And then he declared to the inhabitants of the northern kingdom that this would now be their God. They would worship just as they had done after they came out of the land of Egypt. They would worship a golden calf as their God. God. Now, as you might well suspect, boy, I'll tell you, God was highly displeased with what King Jeroboam had done. Now, we know there's only one God, and he's not in the form of a golden calf, is he? There's only one God, and that one God has a son by the name of Jesus Christ. There's not many God. There's one God, and the Bible said beside him there is none else. I know in our society, in our culture today, we get a little bit confused when the subject of God is brought up because we got a lot of gods today, but I tell you, according to that book right there, there's one God and only one God. Jeroboam set this false calf, a golden calf up to be God. And as I said a moment ago, God was highly displeased with what he had done. Let me show you what God said about it. 1 Kings 12, verse 30. And this thing, speaking of this golden calf, became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. God said what's happened here is a sin. It's not a mistake. It's not a blunder. It's not an error in judgment. It is a sin. God was against it. In fact, if you'll look at our same chapter, 1 Kings 14, and look over at verse 16, the Bible said, and he and God shall give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who did sin and made Israel to sin. This was the, this was the first step in a, in a move toward captivity. God said, I'm going to give you up. I'm going to call the enemy in. I'm going to turn you over to the enemy because of the sin of Jeroboam. God said, this is enough. Well, in our text this morning, what has happened is, the Bible tells us there in verse number one that Abijah, now we got two people, their name sounds familiar. Abijah, he's a little boy. He's the son of the king. And Ahijah, 
He's the man of God. Well, Abijah, the son of the king, has fell sick. He's fallen sick. Kind of leads me to uh, think that maybe one day he was well, and they get up the next morning, and he's just taken sick. In fact, he's not just taken sick. He's very sick. In fact, he's not just very sick. He is deathly sick. And Jeroboam, in verse number 2, tells his wife, you know, there's a man of God down south. And can I just stop and say, thank God there's still some men of God down south. Can I have an amen? There's a man of God down south. And if you look at verse 3, he told me one day, at the end of verse 2, he told me one day before it ever happened that I was going to be king over this people. He's a man of God. He's in touch with God. I want you to go down there and I want you to disguise yourself, pretend to be someone that you're not, walk in and see the man of God, tell him the story, and I'll tell you what, that man of God can tell us what is going to happen to our boy. So she does it. She evidently makes herself up to appear to be someone that she's not, to be somebody else. She pretends to be another, and she goes down to see the man of God. Before I move on, can I make a couple of observations from this text? Observation number one is this. Isn't it sad that the king couldn't pray for himself? Isn't it sad? You know, any time that you and I uh, go off into sin, any time that you and all, uh, I disobey God and rebel against God, it cuts off our ability to pray to God. Any child of God in this room has the blessed privilege to go to God in prayer, and in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, we can march right into the throne room of God's grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You have that privilege. You don't need to go to some Papa dressed up like a mama? Brother, you've got that privilege. You're a priest with God. You and I have the blessed privilege of going right into the presence of God. But when we disobey God and we rebel against God and we go off into some kind of a sinful lifestyle, that blessed privilege is cut off. We can't pray for ourselves. Jeroboam is in that case. His boy is sick. He needs some answers from God. But he can't pray because he's heaped up sin in his life. He's got to depend on somebody else. Honey, dress yourself up. Go down there to the man of God. Give an answer. Tell him what's going on. Get an answer about what's going to happen to our boy. That's observation number one. Observation number two is this. Isn't it sad that people don't go hunting God or some kind of a tragedy comes in their life? You know, most people in this world, they don't have any use for a preacher. They have no use for a church. They have no use for the Bible until something goes wrong in their life. And buddy, when something goes wrong, bless God, they don't run down to the bar and talk to the bartender. No, sir. They start hunting them a man of God with a King James, bless your heart, Schofield Bible, and a church that's got a little fire about it because they're needing answers from the Lord. Let me tell you something, friend. That bartender can't get you out of a mess, but aren't you glad there's a God that'll do it again and again and again and again? He's a God that's on time. I don't know how he'll do it. I don't know when he'll do it, but thank God he'll do it again, friend. You hear me and hear me well. If you're in this room today, there's hope. There's hope, friend. There's a God that can do anything. So she covers herself up. She pretends to be another. And she heads down to see the man of God. You know, I got to thinking about how that our world today is full of pretenders. You know, there's a lot of people who pretend to be smart, don't they? I mean, they try to impress people by their intelligence. They try to impress people by their, by their vocabulary, the, the sides of the words that they use, when in reality they flunked out of high school. 
but they pretend themselves to be smart. There's a lot of people that pretend themselves to be swank. And what I mean by swank is they want to pretend and make everybody think that they've got money. So what do they do? They go buy things that they don't need with money that they don't have to impress people that they don't like. And they want everybody to think, look at me. I drive this kind of car. I live in that neighborhood. I wear this brand of clothes, this kind of shoes, this kind of watch, this kind of jewelry. I spray on this kind of cologne. I'm here to tell you I'm somebody heading somewhere when in reality they're a 10-cent millionaire, friend. They pretend to be smart. They pretend to be swank. But what bothers me most is all across America this morning, people are going to come to churches just like Woodland Baptist Church, and they're going to pretend to be saved. I wonder how many people sitting in this room this morning and you've changed your appearance and you've uh, you changed your attire and you've come over here to the house of God this morning and you're putting on the great show. You're the great imposter. In fact, let me tell you something. If Academy Awards was being handed out this morning uh, for best uh, portrayal, uh, you'd, there'd be some great actors and actresses sitting in this room this morning because you're not what you pretend to be. And by the way, if you'll look back up at verse number 3, I like this. She stuffed a tithing envelope full of an offering when she went. Hey, Amen. Don't look down. It ain't prayer time right now. But she is going to see the man of God. She gets out a tithing envelope, makes out her tithe. She's off to see the man of God. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of people that sit in our church today that are pretending. That's right. They are the pretenders. You know, that's the great problem that our churches face today. The great problem of a lack of integrity and a lot of hypocrisy are turning people out here in this world, turning people off from the church. Don't you think it's about time that we got real? Hey, don't you think it's about time we pulled the mask off and just got real with God and started begging God for mercy and grace and help in these days? We need God more than we've ever needed Him before. But this pretending stuff, there's a problem problem with pretending. Can I have an amen? amen? What I want you to do this morning, I want you to come to this text with me this morning, and I want you to see three problems with pretending. If you're a pretender this morning, you've got three big problems, and here they are. Number one, when it comes to pretending, I want you to understand one thing. God sees through it. God sees through it. Now, that's what happened in our text this morning. The old King Jeroboam says to his wife, he says, Honey, disguise yourself. Feign yourself to be another. I don't know what all she did. Maybe she put a wig on as some of the ladies tend to do from time to time, change the color of her hair. Maybe she slipped out of her queenly garments and, and donned the attire of a peasant. Maybe she went down the road in a rickety old buggy, not being drawn by white stallions, but a bunch of old stubborn ornery mules. Maybe she told her secret service agents to, to stay back, lag behind because she's going to see the man of God. So she's herself. She's dressed herself up to be someone that in reality that she is not. But I want you to understand there's a God in heaven who sees through every bit of that makeup, every bit of that, of that attire, that appearance. He sees through every 
every bit of that, there's a God who sees us as we are. Now, if you look at our text, here's what happened. She goes to see the man of God, and if you look at verse number four, we're told something unusual about this man of God. The Bible said in the last sentence of verse number four that Ahijah, who's the man of God, he could not see for his eyes were set by reason of his age. In other words, because of his age, he has lost his ability to see. Because of his age, he has now become blind. You know, we have some blind people that attend our church here this morning. Let me just stop and say that some of the sweetest people in our church fellowship are our precious blind people. I appreciate Brother Jeff sitting over here and Brother James sitting over here this morning. And let me just say this, God has a special place in his heart for blind people. You know, if you'll go through the four Gospels and read through the miracles that Jesus did, you know the majority of the miracles that Jesus did while he was here on this earth uh, was affiliated with blind people. There must be a special place in the heart of Almighty God for people who are blind. But you know the one thing we know about blind people is they can't see. When I shook hands with Brother Jeff this morning and Brother James, I always identify myself for them. I say, hey, Brother Jeff, it's Brother Tim. Hey, Brother James, it's Brother Tim, because if I didn't do that, unless they picked up on the sound of my voice, they wouldn't know who it was trying to shake their hand. They were blind. They can't see. This prophet was a blind man, and he could not see. Well, about the time that this woman walks in to see him, the Bible said there in verse number six that he says to her, come in, thou wife of Jeroboam. Hey, I know who you are. Come on in the house. You say, preacher, how did he know that? He was blind. He couldn't see. Look back up into verse number five. The Bible said, the Lord said unto Ahijah, behold, the wife of Jeroboam cometh to ask a thing of thee for her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus shalt thou say unto her, for it shall be when she cometh in that she shall feign herself to be another. Hey, let me tell you something. She may have fooled the old prophet. She may have fooled those around her. She may have fooled to people that lived in the neighborhood of the old prophet. But bless your heart, there's a God in heaven who saw right through all of that, who knew who she was, who knew what she needed, who knew what she, where she was going. There is a God who sees through our, uh, our pretending. God saw through her fabrication. God saw through her impersonation. God saw through her imitation. I'm telling you, there is a God who sees. Let me tell you something, friend. Hear me, hear me well. The prophet may have been blind, but bless your heart. God's not blind. And God sees through it. Hey, you can fool me. I'm easily fooled. I mean, I got sucker written over the top of my head. Don't say amen right there. But I've been taken so many times by people and their sob stories, especially when we were down at the former location. You know, they would pass by there, give me some sob story. I'd pull out $20 and give to them. I've, I've lost, I've given away a lot of money because I'm a sucker for a sob story. Now, you boys surround me when I leave here because some of this crowd's going to come hit me up for money today because I'm gullible. Hey, can I tell you this? I am easily, I am easily fooled by what people say. I'm fooled by how they appear and, and, and how they may act. But I want to tell you, bless your heart, God sees through it. Hey, you can fool the preacher. You can fool the deacons. You can fool the Sunday school teacher. You can fool your family. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your neighbors. You can fool your friends. But there 
there is a God in heaven who sees through every bit of it and knows us for who we really are. Hey, I'm telling you, bless your heart, you can get out of here Monday through Saturday. You can drink your liquor. You can cuss. You can smoke your weed. You can run around. You can lay around. And then you can come over here to church on Sunday morning. You can change your attire. You can change your appearance. You can change your attitude. You can change your articulation. And people can walk by and pat you on the back and talk about what a good Christian you are. But I'm here to tell you there's a God in glory that sees all that's going on in your life. God sees through it. I'll tell you something. Bless God the preacher may not have Facebook, but God does. Hey, look right here. That's exactly right. You come over here and stand up in this choir and sing about how much you love God. You get on that Facebook and blast the preacher and put a bunch of, of, of filth and, and uh, ungodliness out there for people to see. Hey, I may never see it, but it don't matter if I did see it. But what matters most is there's a God who sees through it all, friend. And you and I hadn't got by with a thing. There's a God who sees through it. Amen. Amen. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God's not gullible. God's not, God's not an easy mark. God is not, God is not unsuspecting. He knows. And can I tell you what I want to write down in verse number, what I want to write down in verse number six? In big letters, bold and underlined, italicized, capital letters, you know what I want to write down? When he said, come in, thou wife of Jeroboam, I want to write this word down. Busted. <laughs> and can I tell you something? Bless your heart. If you drug in here this morning and you're living some kind of a double life, you're a pretender, you come over here and try to fool everybody, I'm here to tell you Sunday morning, March the, uh, May the 30th, 2021, you may not do anything about it, but friend, you've been busted this morning. God sees through it. Amen and amen. God sees through it. Number two, not only does God see through it, number two, God speaks to it. God speaks to it. You know, I don't know if what I'm about to tell you is true or not. I just traced down this information. But according to a website called Bible Facts and Statistics, there are a total of 3,294 different questions that are asked throughout the Bible. 3,294 questions. Now you stop and think about it. That's a lot of questions. And by the way, there are some great questions that are asked in our Bible. Look at this one right here. The Bible said, what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What a question. People are living for the wrong world. All they're trying to do is accumulate possessions and position and uh, pleasures in this walk of life. Friend, what are you going to do about your soul? When God created you, God created you as an eternal being. What are you going to do about your soul? You may own all the gold in Fort Knox and all the oil fields in Texas. You may drive around in this kind of car and wear this many carat diamond. That's all good and fine. But what are you going to do about your soul? What are you going to give God in exchange for your soul? There's nothing God will accept, except the blood of Jesus. What about this question? Job asked this question, if a man die, shall he live again? 
When God created you and me, he created us as eternal beings. One of these days, this old flesh is going to cease to live. My heart only has so many beats. My feet only have so many steps. My lungs only have so many breaths. And I'm going to die. I'm going to lay this old body down. It's going to begin to dissolve. This tent's going to be taken down. But I'm here to tell you, I'm going to be more alive than I've ever been before because there's a part of me, an eternal soul, that's going to live forever and ever and ever. If a man die, shall he live again? Ten thousand times, yes he'll live again. What about this question? Whom say ye that I am? Jesus asked his disciples, but whom say ye that I am? What a question. Look at this question right here. What shall I then do with Jesus, which is called the Christ? What a question. Oh, friend, I, I say this at almost every funeral, but I want to say it again this morning. What you do with Jesus will determine what Jesus is going to do with you. What do you do with him? What you say, I'm going, to, I'm going to walk out of here today. I'm going to reject him. Then if you die in that rejected state, rejecting Jesus, you're going to be rejected when you get on the other side of death. What you and I do with Jesus here will determine what he's going to do with us there. What are you going to do with Jesus? You can't get him off your hands. And bless God, he'll never die. And he'll never step down. And we didn't vote him in. And we can't vote him out. He always will be. And someday we'll face him. What are you going to do with Jesus? Here's a great question. What must I do to be saved? What a question. The answer to that is not join the Baptist church. The answer to that is not get baptized in the Baptist. The answer to that is receive Jesus. You don't need more religion. What you need is you need Jesus. But, stay with me. If, if Jesus were standing here today or if God were standing here in this service today, having laid this thought on my heart, I know exactly the question that he would ask in this service today. Look at verse 6. Right in the middle toward the end, the question that I'm posing to you, and the question that I pray the Holy Spirit will make real in your heart is this, Why faintest thou thyself to be another? Why are you pretending? You know, it must be hard to live a double life. I, I don't know... And I hope I never find out. But it must be hard to live one thing outside these four walls and then to come inside these four walls and put on a show and pretend to be something that you're not. I'd like to ask you that question. Why are you feigning? Why are you pretending yourself to be another? Isn't that a load too heavy to bear? Isn't that a cross? Isn't that, a, isn't that baggage to, to, that's too cumbersome? Why are you pretending? Why are you acting like you're somebody else? Why do you want to get out of here and then drag in here and put your everything is okay mask on? Like I'm good, you're good, we're good, all God's children good, it's good. And you want to slip that mask on when you get out of the car and walk across the parking lot? But down deep in your heart, your life is a wreck. It's a mess. You've got stuff stuck away, hidden under the floor of your tent. You've got stuff tucked away in your life that you know that God is not pleased with and not honoring God with. I'm here to tell you why in the world do you pretend to be something that you're not? And here's the thing. Why feignest thou thyself to be another? I got good news for you. You don't have to. You don't have to keep up the show.
You don't have to keep carrying around the cumbersome baggage. You don't have to keep up the, uh, the, the acting. You don't have to do that. You can ditch all that this morning. Hey, you can come to Jesus this morning. You can set it down right here and pick it up, praise God, no more. You can walk out of this building this morning and be the real deal with the real I didn't say, look, I didn't say you're going to be sinless, but I am telling you, bless your heart, you can be forgiven. I didn't say, bless your heart, you can be perfect, but I did say you can become real. My question is, why live life pretending when all you got to do is come and receive Jesus and receive the real thing this morning? God speaks to it. Boy, God had a word for her. Look down at verse 12. Look at verse 12. He said, okay, Jeroboam's wife, you thought you were going to fool everybody. Here, here's the message from God. You rise, you go home, and when your feet hit the city limit sign of, of that town, Terza, when you get home, your boy is going to die. God speaks to it. And then last of all, save the best part for last, God scowls at it. You know, if there's one thing that really makes God sick, it's when you and I try to pretend to be something that we're really not. You know, when I was growing up and announced a call to preach, I'd hear Maze Jackson and some of those preachers preach, and I thought, man, I wish I could be him. It was a good day of my life when God finally brought me to the point to realize He didn't call me to be a Maze Jackson. God didn't call me to be another preacher. You know what God called me to be? Who I am. And that's like it or not, until we can do better, this is all we got for right now. But I will tell you this, I just want to be real. There's something about pretending, and I want to look up on the screens, get this down in your mind. God loves the pretenders. But God hates the pretending. If you're here this morning and you're a pretender, I just want to tell you God loves you, but He sure hates how you're trying to live. You say, Preacher, what happened in this story? Well, if you'll look over at verse number 17, the man of God said, Your boy's going to die. Your boy is going to die. Well, she gets home. Verse 17, Jeroboam's wife arose and departed. And came to Terzah. And when she came to the threshold of the door, the child died. Now they got to go bury their baby. They got to go down to the funeral home, pick out a casket. They got to have a funeral service. They got to bury their baby because they pretended. Now I can't prove what I'm about to say is true, but you can't disprove it. And since I'm doing the preaching this morning, at least for right now, this is the way I want to preach this. Can I say this? It didn't have to be like that. I think if Jeroboam, you know, knowing, the, knowing, the, knowing God the way you and I know God, if it had just got real, I think if old Jeroboam and his wife, Mrs. Jeroboam, her name's not mentioned, but I, I really believe if they'd woke up that morning and went in there to Abijah's little bed and he was burning up with fever and breathing very shallow, and Jeroboam looked over at his wife and he said, Honey, you know something? Boy, we need God's help. But I tell you, after the mess we've got ourselves in, we, we can't pray. 
we got to go find somebody that's got a word from God for us. And, and if old Jeroboam and his wife would have went down there to Ahijah's house and they'd have walked in, not all dressed up and prim and proper, but they'd just walked in and maybe they'd cast themselves prostrate at the feet of the man of God and said, Preacher, boy, preacher, our boy's sick. Preacher, we wanted to pray for him, but we couldn't even pray for him because our life is such a mess. We couldn't even pray for our own son, so we, we've come down here and preacher before we go any further. I just got to tell you, man, I've messed up. Preacher, I've messed up. I set up a golden calf up. I would to God I'd never set that calf up. I've led my nation down the wrong path. They're worshiping a false God, and I'm responsible for all this. And preacher, I just I gotta I gotta get God's forgiveness. I've messed up big time. I, I I've made a mess out of things. I've hurt my family. I've hurt an entire people, all my friends, my whole family. I'm just I've just messed up everything. Preacher, I want you to pray for me. I need forgiveness. And preacher, I'm just here. I'm just I'm just being me. I'm just being real. I'm just going to cast myself prostrate at the feet of God and just beg Him for mercy. You and me, knowing God like we know Him, probably would have said, Jeroboam, I sure been waiting for you to say that. Jeroboam, it's good to hear you, son. Jeroboam, I'm glad you got enough of that golden calf religion. I'm glad you're going to go back and destroy that thing. And I just want to tell you, I love you. I forgive you. Now, y'all go on home. Your boy's going to be all right. You say, preacher, that didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. But it sure could have. It didn't have to end the way it ended. I'm telling you, this pretending stuff never does get us anywhere with God. Don't you think it's time we just got real before the Lord? Just came honest, got clean and sought God's forgiveness. The problem with pretending. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, I pray this morning.